growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations? That's our cheat code. All right. Well, guys, we're, we're back on an impromptu edition of, of the Cheat Code. I'm, of course, joined by Mr. Joshua Wagner and Sean Kester, who may or may not be a frozen screenshot for some of this because uh, he's in a snowball situation up there. Um, but we wanted to kind of gather and respond to some of the, the conversations that are happening. I know like we've all been a part of a lot of uh, threads going on about you know what's going on at open new partners and then just what's going on uh you know people expounding their thoughts on on what future of vc holds in general so good forum just to kind of hop in and and probably share some of our thoughts and, and get you some of you guys takes on on the situation as well so to kick us off i guess you know josh i saw you put up a, a post this morning um so obviously you've had a chance to kind of dive into things a little bit like what what i, I guess let's just start with like a baseline of of what you've you know, taken from the situation and, and kind of what you've learned and, and we kind of dive in from there. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it comes back to the stark environment that was 21 to today for the venture world. I think there's there's not more contrast in many things than you see there when valuations were at an all-time high. The way you won deals was just by giving founders more money and it created this crazy environment and just this bubble. And we've seen a lot of the data that shows that 2021 valuations are an extreme outlier, even from a normal graduation curve of valuations on, on, on a regular basis. And now you come into 2023, valuations are coming down. And I think as a result of that, the way founders are accepting these lower valuations is by saying, well, what other value are you bringing to me as an investor? And that value add investing seems to be a really common theme, especially as we talk to folks, right? Like, I really like what you guys are saying around go to market. That's where we need help. We need someone who is not just giving us a bunch of theories and is going to jump in with us. They understand what we're going through. And that's what Operator Immersive was, it was intended to be. And for us, we had the benefit of hindsight, right? We saw 2021 in the rear. We weren't investing as a firm at this time. We were able to look at some of those trends and, and, and go into it. Now, when I think about a fund the size of open view, you know, $580 million, I think, right? That it's more hard to deploy that much capital, especially when you think about valuations coming down, right? You're not going to just overvalue someone for the sake of overvaluing someone. And then the expectation of a founder saying, Hey, we need you to bring more than just capital to that environment. How do you do that across a portfolio that big with partners who, you know, maybe have already hit the home runs and they don't want to dig in that deep. Right. You know, I don't know. It's just a, just a theory. I'm not saying that these guys don't want to work hard, but everything I've read is saying that the partners just kind of don't want to be in the business anymore. And that's, you know, initiating these clauses that say you can't deploy capital without a key man in it and things like that. So those are some of the initial things that, that I got out of it. Just overall investing is a bit harder because of the environment and expectations of founders. Yeah, I think there's some good points there. Like I also was uh, reading, you know, a post that Scott Albert put up, who I think is just doing a great job at like being a, um, you know, Johnny on the spot reporter for overall great. business news. Uh, so like great, um, great kind of niche that he's uh, started to fill. But 
you know, so he put up a, a three point, like this just doesn't work uh, anymore type of situation. And I think for me, it's like, it's more fundamental, right? Like if you're looking at what OpenView really focuses on with their fund seven, and you know, that is that $570 million, you know, fund that you mentioned, which was just raised earlier this year, you know, that is a, um, a, a, a scale focused fund, right? Like th these are organizations that are not seed or, or a um, early, or early growth type organizations. They're they're, you know, orgs that have found product market fit and they're ready to kind of, you know, slingshot all systems and in, into go. I didn't know, and I don't know if he put up, I have to pull up that article, but I don't know if he put up a source around this, but like you mentioned, like there are, there are 1200 unicorn uh, uh, organizations waiting for an exit right now, like, an, and most likely an IPO and that only 200 software organizations have gone public within the last 10 years. And there's, you know, we should probably pull up and put in the um, link of the description here, like the the chart that shows the the years of that, because like no one's going public right now, right? So there's a, there's a massive trough that's being created, and and largely because the economics and the growth trends within the business um, have not continued into 2022, 2023, right? Like those, to your point, valuations were up, but, but performance was also up, really from you know late 18. Uh, through 21, for the most part, despite COVID, um, some industries that were really pulled down. But like P2B software was a you know a free for all uh, because everyone was going digital, and you know we participated in some of that uh, certainly at LeadMD where it was like, hey, fix us, doesn't matter what the cost. Um, and so you got kind of this art, a bunch of different artificial signals and 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 uh, aspects that created growth within the market, and now you've seen that pretty much grind to a halt. And so, you know, if you can't get those ultimate outcomes, a fund like an open view that focuses really on that stage with large amounts of money that have to make huge numbers of investments in order to make those economics work, like they're just, there, there is no outcome. There is no pot of gold at, at the end of that rainbow. So like, I think it probably is even more fundamental than like what you mentioned. I, I certainly agree with Josh, but I think the model fundamentally there's there's something going on there from an economic standpoint that just doesn't work with huge funds and obviously we all know the reason for raising you know large funds sean i'm curious to get your take because you've been you know you, you, so far we've had a, a bunch of bootstrap guys talking but you know you've seen this journey as well i'm curious as to your thoughts on these happenings you know from someone who's operated within you know an organization that you know played the al alphabet soup and and one type of a situation these organizations were at the ball is not even encouraged to be not be cash efficient. And so they, they had to take big swings, spend a lot of money on, on marketing. Um, and that was encouraged, especially in Silicon Valley. Um, and now things ha have changed. And so they have to be cash efficient at that point. They're overvaluated and there really is no exit potential other than being, being, um, cash flow neutral or, or um, positive well that that's a good point because the other thing that's happened obviously in order to you know kind of straighten out that growth curve you know every pretty much every organization on the planet has gone through a cost-cutting exercise and for the most part that is done at this point right like we you know in, in you know some orgs have rehired some of their folks but we've, we've reduced headcount we've reduced opex now the only way to grow is is to actually do so, right? Like either expansion within existing clients or attaching net new logos. Um, and so now you've got that 
cash efficient mentality, but now you actually have to simulate growth as well, which again, like you're going to see, I think the really skilled go-to-market teams are, are going to be the folks that are able to make that work. And largely a, there's going to be a massive bucket of, uh, of folks that have been great while it was feast. Um, now that it's famine, I think you're going to really see some of that uh, performance struggle. And that goes to your point, Josh, which I think is, is more on the value uh, creation and, uh, side that we've seen, you know, with, with folks like Vista and Insight and OpenView that have really kind of championed um, that model. But you and I also know what that looks like functionally as well, right? And and that certainly, in my opinion, um, does not fulfill the promise of like, hey, we're, we're going to really amplify fill in the blank, whether it's dev, you know, go to market operations, whatever happens to be like, that's really tough to do from a fractional standpoint or from an advisory standpoint. So what, what, do, what do you guys think is the answer around the value creation aspect? Cause you know, there are a lot of dynamics pulling against each other there. Number one, this is normally fostered within either the LP base or within, within an operating team. Um, and to my, my point there, like it's difficult to do that fractionally without people that have a real dedicated focus. So like, is it just, you know, bite the bullet, shut up and do it? Or, you know, what are the other options there? Well, I think one of the answers starts with something that you said earlier around so many companies are valued as unicorns and then the only option is IPO. So you gave Scott a shout out. Let's give David Paul a shout out. I saw a snippet that he posted from his LP dinner the other night that said the data shows that the majority of positive outcomes come in like the 100 to 250 50, million 50 to, 50 to 100 range 50 to 100 there you go 50 to 100 million dollar range okay well that's a new expectation right when you're thinking about someone with a unicorn expectation with this exit your only option is an ipo at that point right that 50 to 100 range there's a lot of options right your pool of outcome your, your people that can make that transaction is, is much much bigger right so it gives you so that comes all the way back to the stage of where you know early seed or seed stage investing what are the outcomes that we're looking to achieve with this company? Having those honest conversations with the founders at that time to say, what does success look like to you? And being able to bounce that off of an expectation set with an LP base for what does success look like to them? Okay. So if you can have that clear expectation set much earlier, then accelerating go to market to your point, Justin, now becomes a little bit of a different story, right? You can say, how many people have been burned by, here's your boatload of equity that's just vaporware for some event that's out in the future that we can't really make tangible because it could be an IPO, it could be whatever, 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 overvalued, now we're worth nothing, you know, all this kind of stuff. But what if you're able to go to a go-to-market leader with some real chops and say, this is the outcome we're looking for. We know where to find that outcome. It's going to take us two and a half years because we've got these players in place. This is what we need to sprint towards. And, and we can put you in place to do that. Yeah, I think you, that's you, a different conversation, right? You have to open up, you know, the optionality. I know we've all talked about like fun dynamics and what the, a shitty term that is, but like that literally needs to be, you know, one of the fundamental changes here, I think. Like, so if we even just go through the list, like you've got to be able to add more value than capital. You've got to yep. be able to uh, create, uh, really flip the success ratio, right? Like the two in 10 needs to become an 80, 90% success ratio, right? Or what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like if you're willing to trash or, or have, you know, uh, uh negative outcomes on, on that large of, of the investment, 
I think that's where another economic lever is is really getting pulled, which is that, you know, investors are really, you know, and you're seeing this across the board institutions as well, like capital is getting tight. You know, folks are really looking for uh, vehicles that, that, you know, don't have that, you know, big boom pop performance, but like have a decent return that have a lower risk profile that, you know, is something that's going to happen within their lifetime. You know, a lot of these investors, you know, your, your boomers and so on, like they're getting to the, an age where they don't have a horizon for 10, 15 years within their investment any longer. So, you know, all those are again, starting to add up to where like, you've got to be able to provide better optionality, both to your investor base, as well as your, your, you know, your, your invested, your startup, your founder base and, and, and say like, these are acceptable outcomes, which within traditional fund dynamics just would would not be and then the other thing that i I mean like i'd love to get you guys thoughts on on size or like let's just even like throw it out there in terms of the like are we going to raise a fund are we not going to raise a fund like you know what is what are you guys' thoughts on you know funds the size of those funds um and and how it plays into what venture capital looks like going forward i think I think funds sound sexy. I think people like to gloat that they raised a big fund. And I think it's a it's a thing that everyone looks at to a VC and as a kind of a measure for each one and saying how big the fund can they raise. I think it gives you some fiduciary responsibilities and make it really complex and difficult to be able to execute in the way that you probably would and founded that firm in the first place. So your your you know intentions in the first place is to help these companies grow and scale and help the founders achieve their dreams and help them grow businesses and hire people and have those folks also achieve their dreams, right? But then all of a sudden it becomes that that goal gets clouded by the fact that you have this fiduciary responsibility to one, execute on the money. And the more you raise, the more you have to do, which means that you're going to take bigger swings. Um, things are going to fall through the cracks. You can't manage 10, 15, 20, you know, company portfolio the same way you can have two or three. And you're not looking at each one individually as, as probably as closely as you should. And I know a lot of these, you know, larger VCs have, you know, one deal they're supposed to do per year. But then they're immediately focused on the next one, right? And so, you know, if you can't just have a fun run forever, so I think it, it just makes it hard. Well, that, that's a, before yeah. before we move off that, that, that's a really important point because you know, I won't mention any names here, but like obviously, like our go to market strategy is partnering with other capital firms, and I think it's been incredibly eye opening to look at the gradation of difference between what those, uh, you know, and again, like I'll kind of paint between the lines here, like. The larger the firm has been, the less diligence, the less less transparency, the less solid I would say uh, I found those deals to be. Versus, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know that it's on the small side, but like the you know mid-size, highly diligent. Like I found those firms that we partnered with just to be incredibly responsible. In terms of how they are investing their LPs capital, uh, pragmatic in terms of the opportunities that they're looking at, um, and you know it's transparent and straightforward about the optionality for exit versus what I would call like you know a lot of you know to Sean to your point like the size of the fund has really become the pedigree um, within VC and we've partnered with folks that have large, very large funds as well. And I've not found that to be the case on that side. And and also, if you look at what's happening in some of those those partners, they've done a rapid number of of investments as of late as well. Um, and that just to me says like I don't know how you can manage six or seven 
simultaneous investments and, and provide the value that we've been talking about providing here. In fact, I think that's an indicator that it is simply a, a capital offering. Yeah, I, you know, you make that big fund, you make all those investments. In order to service those investments, you frankly need more manpower, right? So now all these fees that you're collecting, you're just creating operational expense within your business now, right? And listen, fees are a part of the game. I mean, you, you have to have them to to operate the business, but not to get too deep on it, but like, you know, the fees we collect on a deal by deal basis, we're not making a living off of those as individuals, right? Like we are using those to operate the business and really put our focus and attention into the founders and their company so that we can all get a good outcome. And that's where we expect to make a living, right? We're not expecting to make a living off fees. You have a $570 million fund. There's some pretty hefty fees there that you've, you know, those people are probably making a living off and you're hiring other people. It's somewhat inefficient for your LPs and then, you know, your founder as well. You know, and that's a good point. You know what I mean? Like obviously most funds reserve, you know, uh, a portion of those, uh, that, that, that individual fund for follow on and, and pro rata and so on. But when you start to take a three-year break in terms of business growth, that again, fucks up those economics, right? Correct. Like, so even if you've got large fees and you were counting on exiting, you know, your two unicorns, you know, in 23, 24, that's most likely not going to happen. And so now all of that just gets snowballed down the road. And again, I think if you look at, at the reason that, um, you know, and not a lot has been put out about this open view thing whatsoever. There's been far more commentary on and, and kind of amusing remarks on LinkedIn around it. But like, obviously they lost some critical partners who stepped out of the business. They've recently raised a fund, which created a lot of pressure um, to perform. There, there's all the conditions that we've you know kind of talked about ad nauseum here, and that just didn't add up to something where they felt like they could be for they could perform. Now, kudos to their point, they did this very rapidly and gave money back very rapidly because the same thing we're talking about here, like immediately when you start carrying those those cap calls, you're eating fees out of them. Like they want, I, I would assume their number one goal was to make their LPs whole um, right. or as near to absolutely as near to it as possible. Um, and so normally I think that's the reason like no one knew this was coming because the minute that they decided it, it made sense to simply, you know, peel it back and unwind it. The interesting, <laughs> uh, so again, I won't name any names, but you know, like largely the narrative has been, you know, frankly, what we've been saying out there, like, Hey, I think this wall's broken because fucking a, it is broken. Right. Like I've seen some other folks chime in and be like, Oh, there's all this negative stuff happening for open view and those are great guys and i love their content yes absolutely like i don't want to skip over that like these guys created what i would call like that operating or help create that operating partner model and great research great content yep. like i've been interviewed I've, I've done talks at an open view event before excellent excellent stuff but at the end of the day 570 million that you've got to deploy on uh, uh, you know, scale in growth stage companies, later ladder growth stage companies doesn't add up. And so like the mar markets equalize, like it just, things go in the direction that they, that they should go in. I think I'd be much more apt to say like, Hey, don't, what do they call it? Punch down on this model rather than raising one of those, uh, the most recent fund, they would have said, Hey, we're, we're going to change something fundamental about our business model. Um, but frankly, they were, I think they were kind of rinsing and, and repeating at that point. And again, I think you saw some partners kind of understand that and, and step out because of it. But my entire point there is like, 
we have to call uh, a spade a spade in relation to what's happening here. I don't think it's the last time we're going to see this happen. Um, and I think it's a big, just kind of early warning for different structures like SPV, which obviously we we like quite a bit um, because it's getting more competitive out there for LP dollar and you know, the same struggles that are going into uh, startups are only compounded within this this financial environment. Like we see that every day as well. So that's why that's why diatribe on like let's be honest about this and, and not kind of gloss over it. Yeah, I mean, if if high net worth individuals are tightening, institutions are doing the same, right? Like they institutions are largely investing on on behalf of another group of individuals, right? So now you're just it's a well that that. that I mean, like institutions aren't investing from from a traditional lending standpoint right now, just as an anecdote. So we're recapping a business right now. And uh, we took that out to 65 lenders to get one term sheet. Literally took seven, eight months to, to make this happen. Um, now, you know, it's a $50 million recap. So like it's it's nothing to shake a stick at, but like it it's getting tight out there. And to your point, like I'm seeing a lot of, if you look at what's going on from an economic standpoint, a lot of uh, the inflationary uh, prices that have come down have done so in your larger purchases, appliances, cars, you know, homes, obviously, because of interest rates and so on. Um, and I think you've got that last little piece, which is like largely like food and consumer goods and things like that, that's going to pop and we're going to be in a really tight scenario. So again, like something has to fundamentally change here. And that's where the good will come from. I truly believe that. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it always comes back to, you know, open views a pig behemoth, right? We'll just call it that. Like, it, it, you know, when you're in business, the small guy's advantage is always being nimble and being able to pivot quicker, right? So, you know, that's kind of what we're leaning on right now, creating a competitive advantage, being small, being nimble, being pragmatic versus, you know, as you get bigger, those things, it's, just, it's like turn of the Titanic. So kind of where we are and, and it's, it's just a market dynamic and hopefully we can come out on the right side of it sean parting thoughts frozen thoughts let it go <laughs> let it go <laughs> all right guys well well thanks for um for hopping on i know this is kind of impromptu but hopefully this was valuable out there thanks again for joining us if you could join us for the first time please subscribe like uh visit in revenue.capital get on our, our newsletter list we put out a ton of content and of course a weekly podcast here at the cheat code Thank you so much for joining us. For myself and my co-host, Sean, Josh, enjoy. We'll talk soon.